Hello, friends, and welcome back to the show. Now, if you are a member inside of my climb community, you've already met today's guest for our show, and you've been inside her kitchen, at least virtually. <laughs> Today, I'm introducing you to my dear friend, Allie Kelly, who also happens to hop inside of our climb community once a month to offer some delicious recipe inspiration and honestly, just a lot of laughs because she's hysterical. And not only is she was in the kitchen, but she also has so much knowledge about food and agriculture all the way from the farm to the plate. My friend Allie Kelly is an ag-centered entrepreneur. She stays busy running a successful food blog, a consulting and coaching business, and all the social media connected with an online presence. She also owns and operates a small diversified farmstead where she enjoys experimenting in the garden, creating profitable mini businesses on the farm, and of course, riding her big gray horse, Zane. Her formal education in ag paired with her entrepreneur heart always keeps things exciting for her husband and three kids. She loves that they're always up for an adventure and are the top supporters of her wild ideas. In just a moment, I'll be introducing you to the wonderful Allie Kelly. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way. Mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh my gosh. Well, I am so excited. You know, we have only known each other virtually thus far, and I can't wait to the day that I actually get to be inside of your kitchen to eat the delicious food because I got to tell you, it just feels like the biggest tease sometimes seeing all these beautiful <laughs> creations you make and then I don't get to taste them. <laughs> I know. I mean, I honestly feel bad every week when I'm like, let's make this and then we make it and I'm like, well. I guess I'll eat it. Sorry, guys. I guess, I guess I'll bear this burden for all of us. <laughs> yes. I love it. Okay. Well, Allie, I know that we, I shared a little bit about you, but for those that don't know Allie, what else, tell me who Allie Kelly is outside of what we know from your bio. Oh boy. Okay. Um, well, I think like people are always kind of confused about why I'm in ag, which is you know, justified. I get it. So I didn't grow up on a farm. I just grew up with this like innate love for animals and being outside in wide open spaces. I lived in a, you know, regular house in the suburbs. Um, nobody in my family, even extended family, like even remotely did anything close to farming. And so um, I started asking tried horses when I was little, like in kindergarten. And then I was just like the quintessential insane horse girl, like, <laughs> you know, you know, like the one who's playing horses at recess and you're like, mm, are you a little old? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I just like when I do something, I just really do something. And so horses were my life. I lived and breathed them. And I knew I wanted to like have a career somehow uh, centered around that. And my only other life goal was to like own land and a barn. 
like I didn't even care about a home. I was just like I wanted forget the house. Forget. As long as the horses yeah. have a home. <laughs> yeah, like we would we would frequently drive through Idaho to visit family or for vacation. And if you've ever driven through Idaho, most of it is like, you know, pretty open spaces. And I would just be like, This is my dream life. This is where I want to be. So um I went to college with the intent of becoming an equine vet, you know, something like very fancy on the East Coast. <laughs> but but it was an ag school. It was um, Utah State was an ag school. And so part of my like pre-vet degree was we had to take some like animal, other animal production classes. And at the time, the horse program was just getting started. There wasn't like now you can be like an equine major and there's like this huge horse program there that didn't exist. And so I ended up having to take classes like, you know, pork production, beef production, things like that. And as I took those classes and, you know, we would have labs on the farm and just really cool. It's, it's so cool to have all those like hands-on experiences. Um, and then of course, you know, a lot of kids in my classes were from farms and we're going back to the farm and we would hear from producers and vets and just a lot of people in the industry. And I was like, this is amazing because I didn't know anything. I'm the I'm the idiot sitting in intro to animal science googling what is a head of cattle. Like mm-hmm. like I knew nothing. <laughs> and so through my education I just really grew to love just not only horses but like all ag, everything involved with ag and I and that's where I first became really passionate about like wow, people should really understand where their food comes from and I feel like I could help with that because I didn't know. And mm-hmm. so I, I know all the stupid questions <laughs> that they have, but they're not stupid, but you feel stupid when you don't know. You, you're like, I know enough to know this is a like a question that I probably should know the answer to. And it's probably mm-hmm. very obvious to this person who I'm asking, but I guess I'll ask because I don't know. And I'm curious enough to not care about looking stupid. <laughs> so, yeah. So from there, it all just kind of spiraled. I didn't get a job in industry because I didn't feel like being a part of the good old boys club (laughs) as a as a dairy nutritionist my master's is in ruminant nutrition and I was like well I think I'll just follow this passion of advocating for agriculture and see what happens so I'd, I'd kind of always worked for myself I started my first business when I was 16 so it kind of just tracked that doesn't mean I was successful but it just meant that I <laughs> that I uh, knew I wanted to try I love that. Okay. So many, so many good nuggets in here. I want to circle back to you being someone that did not grow up in agriculture who has really chosen this path for your career. Now, what I love about you sharing this is that you see how that experience actually is a benefit to what you do now because you know where a lot of these consumers that don't know about agriculture are coming from. Now, I want to ask this question though because I feel like there's a lot of people that are maybe in your similar shoes. Maybe they didn't grow up with an ag background. And as someone myself who grew up in an ag background, I know that for people outside of our industry and in any industry, I'm sure, it can be really, really intimidating to be like, oh my gosh, do I belong here? Like I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't grow up on a ranch. They're not going to think I fit in. Like who am I to do this? Can you tell us a little bit about maybe people who feel that way, who are like, well, I didn't grow up in this. Like, do I belong here? Yeah, for sure. So um, I felt this a lot in college because like I said, a lot of my classmates were from a farming and ranching background and there was this like weird 
vibe between like horse people and like non-horse people and (laughs) a little clicky kind of yeah and like I didn't even fit in with the horse people because I I I grew up in Utah and obviously went to school in Utah Utah State University and like predominantly western riding is what's done I didn't do that even Mm -hmm. I did eventing which is like equestrian stuff and so like I didn't even fit in with like the horse people and so I would go to classes like for the most part alone for the first like two years of my mm-hmm. education and I would you know I'm like a front row person I and ever like I could I could just tell that people were like who is this girl that being said I know a lot of it was just my perception because mm-hmm. when we feel this way a, a lot of it's in our head people yeah. may be wondering about us and they may have questions I mean I wonder about people that like are you know coming into something that I'm familiar with I'm like okay but like are you sure you want to be here? Do you know? It's normal to be a little skeptical. But mm-hmm. I think where the difference comes in is I, um, once I kind of got to know people, I realized like, okay, like these kids, yes, they came from a farm, but they kind of only know how their farm does it. Mm-hmm. Like they don't know everything. And then we were all obviously learning together. So that kind of even the playing field for me. And I realized too, that I could ask professors pretty much anything and they might like chuckle a little bit at me but Mm -hmm. for the most part they were all like super helpful and they were excited that I was interested and wanted to learn so you kind of have to get over um like feeling embarrassed yeah (laughs) you're you're gonna say something dumb it's just how it goes and and for the most part like people will be fine and they'll answer your question and everybody will move on and it's it's not the end of the world and then as you as you just keep trying and going, you realize that there is space for you and people realize that you, if they see that you want to be in any industry really, mm-hmm. and you're willing to work and you're willing to learn and you're willing to listen, they're happy to welcome you. Like, I mean, everybody has bad experiences everywhere, but for the most part, once you kind of establish like, Hey, no, I'm really here to stay. I really want to do this. People are great. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that's so powerful. I think recognizing how your own perspective influences what you think other people are saying about you and also just being willing to like put yourself out there. You're never, you can either sit there silently feeling stupid and not willing to ask the question, or you can go ahead and be like willing to maybe feel stupid, but ask the question and then no longer have to wonder and you have the answer. So I think a little bit of it is getting out of our own way and being a little bit uncomfortable. But I love that, Allie. And I think, you know, from my perspective, from someone who grew up in agriculture, I actually think there's so much value for people that didn't because because like you said earlier, you have this incredible experience of knowing what those questions are, where I grew up on a ranch with, you know, cattle in my backyard. I always knew what a heifer was. I don't remember ever not knowing what the difference between a heifer and a cow was. And so I think that that's actually one of your superpowers, you know, having that non-ag background that you were raised in. Looking to save more money and invest for your future? It's never been easier than with Acorns. Download the app, sync to your debit or credit cards, and automatically round up every purchase you make to mindlessly save and invest your money without any added work. Set up recurring investments to increase your savings and investment fund and watch your money build with time without even thinking about it. Listen, I know nothing about saving and investing, but I've been using Acorns for a couple of years now, and I now have enough money to take a vacation to Europe with my husband, and the best part, I didn't even notice it happening. Join me and you'll get a free $5 investment to start saving and investing for your future too. 
Click the link in the show notes and get started with Acorns today. Okay, I want to move a little bit forward. I love that you started your entrepreneurial journey when you were 16 and you have been like a chronic business owner starter person. I don't know if that's the right word, uh-huh. yep. but yep. Um, you're a very multi-passionate person, I would say, if yep. that sounds right. And what I love about you is that you have this really well-rounded perspective on food and the farm and agriculture everywhere from, you know, the pasture to the plate, as as people will say. I want to ask, how did you get into the food space from agriculture? And given your your diverse experiences around it, I want to tap into asking you what some of your food philosophies are. So first, how did you get to the food aspect of things as a food blogger? And then we'll dive into your perspectives on that. Yeah, that's a great question. This is a prime example of the pivot (laughs) as a business owner. This is what I kind of help people uh, learn about when I'm coaching them is like, you can have all the great ideas in the world (laughs) for what you're going to do and what your business is, which I, you know, I had it all planned out when I graduated. I knew I had a business plan. I knew what I was going to do. I even made a website and it didn't like it didn't work out because I didn't number one, like know enough about online businesses and online marketing. And so that was something I had to learn. But then again, I realized, okay, I'm passionate about food, always have been. I came from a family. My mom cooked, you know, dinner most nights. My grandmother taught me how to bake. That was something we always did together. Um, My grandmother on my mom's side is Italian. And so like food and family and fun was always kind of like wrapped up into a really... I don't know, just really good memories always surrounded food. And so, and then when I was in college, you know, you don't have any money. (laughs) So you're like like dirt poor trying to figure out how to one, not starve and like two, semi nourish yourself while you're studying and like all the things. And so I started cooking a lot then too, because it was just so much cheaper to make food. And Mm. so I was sitting there thinking one day, like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this business. Like, I know who I want to talk to. How can I reach them? And then I lo- I loved food blogs. I was like a huge follower of Reed Drummond, Pioneer Woman. I'm sure everybody's mm-hmm. heard of her. And I was like, she's a ranch- rancher. She reaches people by making food. I could do that. And so then I dove into the food blog side of it because also I needed to start making money. <laughs> it's kind of a... <laughs> Uh, qualifying. Yeah. That important part of business, I guess. (laughs) I mean, yes, making money. So, and, and food blogging felt like the fastest way to do that while I kind of built up this ag part of my business, because I realized that that was going to be more of a slow burn. So I dove into food blogging. I feel like I earned an entire like honorary degree in websites (laughs) and SEO and, you know, all the things that go into like great, you created content. How do you get people to care about it and find it? And one of my biggest reasons for doing the food blogging was like food is so connected to agriculture. People are so passionate about food. If I can get them to trust me with a recipe, maybe they would trust me with a question or maybe they would listen if I said, you know, I don't know, debunked some myth, common myth about, you know, GMOs or or you know, glyphosate or something like that. I love that. So food was kind of this personal thing to you as it is to all of us. And it 
basically became this avenue for you to do what you wanted to do. Like the why behind your all of your businesses, which is to tell people about agriculture. Is that right? Yeah. I think the more specific why, and this was something that developed as I was talking about food with people a lot, is my, my specific why always is that I want anybody who comes to my website or talks to me to understand that food choices are freedom. Food choice is the most, like having a choice in anything is the most important. But I need people to understand that when you walk into a grocery store and you can choose which method you want to purchase for how your food was produced or grown, that is so amazing. Like the level of privilege that we have to walk into a store and say, I would like to purchase food that was produced with this certain method because it aligns with my personal beliefs is like the ultimate freedom. And when we allow people to make choices and care about what they want to care about and not try to convince everybody to do the same thing we're doing, like one way is the only right way, that just lets us see the world in this whole different color spectrum instead of this like black and white, this is wrong, this is right. Because at the end of the day, it's not. Like, yeah. Food is produced in different ways because people feel differently. Um, different farms need to operate differently. People have different budgets. And yeah. on a deeper level, food choice and food freedom really alleviates food insecurity issues, which I'm also passionate about. So I think that's my underlying why is I really just want to help people feel comfortable when they go in the store. And I want people to feel comfortable with choices and letting people choose something different from themselves. Mm. And what I love is, Allie, you're not saying, I want people to know that this is why this is right. You just want people to feel good in their choices. So I guess yes. from your perspective, being someone who is a strong advocate for agriculture, how do you think that we or or people in agriculture increase that consumer confidence in their food choices? Because I feel like in ag, you hear people say all the time, we need to educate our consumers. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this <laughs> phrase. I thought you might have an opinion. Is quote unquote educating the right approach or do you think there's a better way to bridge that gap? So this is a great question. And when I first started, I definitely was like, education is the way. It's the way. As I've done this, I've called it education for a while because I didn't know if there was a better term. But what I've come to realize as I've had these conversations, and I've spent over a decade having these conversations and like really honing my communication skills, because you can't just get on your platform and tell people, you think this and that's wrong. You think this and that's stupid. This is the right way. There aren't any problems here. Get on board or get off the train. You know what I mean? That's That feels very divisive to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's where progress happens. I will always say, no matter what the issue, especially in agriculture, progress happens when we can have conversations where both sides feel heard. And the point of the conversation is not to convince somebody that you're right and they're wrong. The mm -hmm. point of the conversation is to understand them as a human. Because the only way, the only way that we change anything is by having understanding and empathy and compassion towards other human beings. Does this mean you have to like be always nice and a pushover? No. Like, of course, you can stand up for yourself and stand up for things. And some conversations aren't worth having. We all know that. 
There's always <laughs> those one comments that you're like, yeah, I think just block and delete is the right answer here. Mm-hmm. But in agriculture, I think the number one thing that we can do is support each other. So nothing kills me more when farmers and ranchers go on other farming and ranching accounts and tear them down or tell them what they're doing wrong or say they should have done it differently. You don't know that. And I will say this too, as someone who didn't come from agriculture, spent six years diving in and learning everything I could, I actually know a lot more about a lot of different production methods than some farmers and ranchers who have never left their own operation. Yeah. That feels like weird for me to say, but I have a really diverse experience when it comes to like seeing different operations. That doesn't mean I could do it, but it does mean that I understand that circumstances are different on every place. And so if we can band together in agriculture and say like, yes, my friend is a dairyman. This other friend is a almond farmer. Obviously they're going to make almond milk, which is a competitor for cow's milk. I feel like if they can support each other and there are people online who do this and I, and I love that they have this good relationship. It's not a battle. It's a support system. Because when we support each other, we create cohesiveness within agriculture, and that's what consumers see. We're just going to confuse them if we fight. We're just going to confuse them if we say that our way is the only right way. Because it's not. The reason, like the reason consumers, part of the reason they feel confused is because of all the dissonance within ag when we talk about things. Mm -hmm. It's a... I feel like people in agriculture can sometimes be their own worst enemies by fighting amongst each other. I'm so with you, Allie. Preach the good word. Okay. (laughs) I want to ask you, what are some of the misconceptions or maybe just the questions that you hear the most about food and agriculture with your audience? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, this is timely as I posted a video on TikTok a couple days ago that people, this is very triggering. (laughs) (laughs) and so I get a ton of questions about eggs uh, because I have chickens and um, chickens feel really approachable for somebody who's not in ag just because you can have them like you could have them in your backyard and so I see a lot of questions about that and I get a lot of questions about when I garden I get a lot of questions about pesticides and herbicides and sometimes GMOs usually I I tie GMOs into the conversation Um, because there are products that you use in your garden that are actually the same mechanisms that some GMO crops use. And so that can be a good learning experience. But for the most part, I get questions about GMOs. I get questions about herbicides, usually glyphosate, Roundup, if you're not familiar. And then sometimes just random, like I'll get sent videos. So somebody will see like a activist video, usually on a dairy, and they'll have a question about it. I feel pretty confident answering those. I did my master's on a dairy. And so I feel like I can field those questions pretty well. But Mm -hmm. most of the time they're just concerned because they want to make sure that they're like, they they want to do the right thing. That's why they're concerned. They they really want to do the right thing. So even if they might ask the question wrong or even ask it in a way that you're like, okay, you couldn't have thought of a better way. (laughs) Like I was a little rude. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, once you kind of initiate the conversation from a place of, I see that you care a lot about this. Let's chat. It can end pretty well most of the time. Mm. I think that that's such a powerful thing to keep in mind too. when people are asking those questions is I think 
I think it's easy for people that raise food to get defensive when people have questions. It's like they're they're calling them out or saying that they're wrong. And I think that that can sometimes trigger people that raise food to get really just like heated about it and say like, you're wrong. You don't know you're stupid. They might not say that out loud, but they might be thinking that. Right. And I think what you said is so powerful. Like when people have questions, when consumers are concerned about how their food is raised, when they're worried about GMOs, when they're worried about pesticides, herbicides, or or these activist videos they see – I think it's important to recognize that it's coming from a genuine place of them wanting to choose healthy options for themselves and their family. And I think that if we can remember to connect on that human level, like you said earlier, I think that it's going to make that conversation so much more impactful. And yeah, I think I think just remembering that like these questions are coming from typically a well-intended place. Yeah, for the most part. And what's What's the best feeling for me is when I can have a conversation with somebody in DMs or, you know, on a comment thread and we don't agree, mm-hmm. but, but they still follow me mm-hmm. and they still interact with my content. And we might even, they might even say like, I don't agree with you. And I, and I say, that's fine. Yeah. We don't have to agree. Yes. Like oh. there, there will be very few times I push like an issue and that, and that could just be like something that's a blatant, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, something that's not really just really out there. But for the most part, they don't, I, I love when people feel like they can be safe on my account, even though we're not the same. Yeah. I love that. That's so powerful. I truly believe that if you change your habits, you can change your life. Our life is the result of the habits that we practice daily. Improving your life isn't about making some scary, drastic change overnight. It's about meeting yourself where you're at and making small changes over time that you can actually stick with. But you've got to start small to stay consistent, which is why I put together a free healthy habits checklist to help you do just that. Download my free PDF to set your intentions for what small healthy habits you are going to start practicing today. There's a place for you to check them off the list and celebrate every single baby step along the way. You can download yours for free at coachkayacommunity.com forward slash healthy dash habits, or you can click the link below. Again, that's coachkayacommunity.com forward slash healthy dash habits, or click the link in the show notes to download yours today for free. Start changing your life, friend, one healthy habit at a time. Okay, so I want to ask you, as an ag professional, as a homesteader, as a food blogger, as a mom, what are some of your personal food philosophies? I love this question. So I think, I don't, I don't think I thought about this much until I became more involved in ag, number one, and then had my first child. And there's like, whoa, so much information. <laughs> when you're when when you're a mom and you have your first baby and you like go to leave the hospital, you're like, I can just I can just walk out with this. Like, do I need it? We're cool. This is mine. Okay. Like I feel I feel like I got more instructions from the breeder when I bought a puppy, but this is okay too. This is fine. <laughs> so when it came to like feeding him in solid food. Um, he was actually like really fussy baby and had bad reflux. And so I did a ton of research and something I found out was that when it's safe and, you know, talk to your own pediatrician, when it's safe to start feeding them solids, that can really help. 
And so then I looked into a ton of like, okay, like what foods can help with that and all of that. And I ended up, I started making baby food and then people started praising me for making baby food. Like, wait, 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 I'm not doing this because I think it's like better or safer. It just is working out better for me. And so that really started this whole thought process for me of how do I want my kids to feel about food and how are we going to approach things like, like, do you make them eat stuff? Do you make them finish their plate? And so as I did some reading and followed, obviously Instagram is my favorite. So I followed, you know, some nutritionists who I felt confident in their like, how they talked about agriculture. And um, I really liked their philosophy. And I just came to realize that when, when you just allow kids to make choices and encourage things that you want them to eat, but not force anything, it just works out so much better. And then I never wanted them to feel like I wanted to help them listen to their bodies and really have that drive what they ate and how much they ate. And so we decided that if our kids said they were done, because sometimes they'll eat like one bite and say they're done. So we always ask, how does your belly feel? Do you feel like you're done? And then that's when they can get down and like we never make them finish their food. Um, We don't really coerce them to eat things. They do have to try new things. Two bite rule. They do have to try new things because trying new things our little motto is trying new things is fun and different is exciting. <laughs> so I love that. And it applies to lots of situations. <laughs> and so we just, we kind of do that with food. It's just, it's just really chill. <laughs> if I had a food philosophy, it would be like, just chill. <laughs> <laughs> like, like do it. Are you full? I don't, are you hungry? Are you full? If you're hungry, eat what foods feel like would fuel your body well. And I think you also need to put some effort into like understanding what kind of foods fuel your body. And that's where either, you know, asking a professional in the nutrition space, but like, honestly, there's, there's so much stuff online that you can either follow or read from really good sources from people who have like really healthy, balanced views of nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I think that's my like main thing is it's just doesn't need to be as big of a deal as people make it into, especially when it comes to kids. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting too, hearing you talk about this as a mom. You know, growing up, I was raised in the clean plate club where we were told that you can't get up from the table until you clean your plate. And now in my adulthood, that's something that I still struggle with is I'm eating with my eyeballs and naturally just instinctively cleaning my plate without tuning into my body. And so I think it's I think it's so important, and, and I say this not yet being a mom myself, but most of us are born with pretty good intuition around yeah. our body and food, and I think it's society kind of training it out of us and creating some of these habits around food that don't always serve us but can last a long, long time. So I think that that's super powerful, but I also think so empowering for kids to say like, you know your body best and let's use that that natural instinct and intuition to really help guide you. Now, one of the things I want to ask you too is, you know, I think having a, a general knowledge of nutrition is absolutely important, but I think for some people, there can be this mixed emotions with food, like food is is fuel, yes, 
For some people, they feel like food is comfort. Is it bad that food is comfort? Is it good that food is comfort? You know, it's so interesting too, because food is so tightly like related to our culture and traditions and how we celebrate and say, I love you. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who feel like they struggle with, well, now I overindulge on sweets or these good foods. And so I feel like there can be so much emotion and drama wrapped up with food as well. And so your philosophy of just chill, I guess, how does that play into um, you enjoying foods that maybe traditionally people might label as being unhealthy or quote unquote bad, even though you and I both know we don't believe in good and bad foods. There's still a huge perspective of that. I guess, how does your food philosophy go into those foods that maybe are labeled as those unhealthy, indulgent foods? Yeah, that's a great question. And I love that you brought up how emotional food is because it's so true. Like, why are food blogs successful? Because people care so much about their food. And I love that. I I love that I can make a meal that helps me feel comfort. I love the feeling of eating a certain food and having a memory attached with that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's wrong. And I don't think that you need to feel shame or bad about that. Because I think as, I think as we really do the work of listening to our bodies and trying to tune into what we need, it quiets some of that worry of like, well, what if, what if I eat too much? You might, you might. And if you're doing the work of listening to your body, you'll be like, you'll know, you'll be like, wow, that was, I I ate a little too much. And, and it's, Mm -hmm. and it's okay because you'll need to eat tomorrow and you can try again. And, and every day we can try again to just do a little better. And when we and when we have these like, you know, really decadent foods or foods that are, you know, quote unquote, <laughs> unhealthy bad foods. I think if that's something that stresses you out, first of all, I think that saying you can't have something is just going to make you want it more. I maybe people are different than me, but like I you tell me I can't do something or have something and I'm like, "Okay, well, <laughs> watch me." <laughs> That, that's a challenge, challenge issued to my brain. <laughs> so if you, I think if you allow yourself to have it and you just allow yourself to enjoy the moment and the feelings surrounding that, like why, why do you love this food? Is it because of the feelings? So focus on the feelings, focus on mm-hmm. who you're with. Don't make it about the food. The food is just a tiny piece of this experience that you're having, whether that's family dinner or a birthday party or, you know, like Christmas or Thanksgiving, the food is just a small part of that. And so if you can maybe take a step back and have a little broader perspective of like who you're with and why you love this experience, I think that can maybe take some pressure off of those, you know, bad food, good food. What if I eat too much? What if I don't situation and trust yourself. Yeah. You're you're the expert on you. You're the expert on your body. Trust yourself to do the right thing. You have a lifetime of proof that you can do the right thing. Mm, so good, Allie. I I love that, and I think I think removing the shame around food being comfort, I think, is huge because that's so hard for a lot of people who feel like they've struggled with a long with it for a long time. And the way I like to think about it is, yes, food can be comfort, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. And if you're someone who uses food for your emotions, understanding that food can be comfort, but food does not solve for our emotions. Right. But when we remove that shame from it, when we find ourselves using it in that way, that 
it doesn't compound as much because when we when we feel bad and then we go and eat food and then we feel ashamed for using food when we feel bad, it's going to make us feel worse and probably just make us want more food and it becomes this vicious yes. cycle. And so I think there's almost like – I've been thinking about this lately of like how can we – if we find ourselves abusing food as a source of trying to solve for these emotions instead of feeling bad about it, how can we almost like wrap ourselves up in a hug and say, thank you for trying to help me manage my emotions. Food has been the tool that I've used for that. How can I just add more tools to my toolbox besides just food? I have a suggestion. Yes, please share. So this is something that uh, my therapist does with me. So if anybody doesn't know, I love therapy. I go to therapy regularly and have for a couple of years. It's great. So something that can help you if you know you're emotionally eating, but like that's kind of as far as you can process. Number one, that's fine. Number two, you can say, okay, like get out a paper, say, okay, I am emotionally eating. Like what am, what triggered this? Write that down and then try to identify some of the emotions that you're feeling. So I feel stressed. I feel lonely. I feel frustrated. I feel sad. And you can even Google like list of emotions and just have it in your phone. And then when you're doing this, you can read through it and be like, okay, that one is like 10 out of 10. That one's like two out of 10 and and kind of label them. And then you can read back through your list and say, okay, this is, you know, what triggered me. This is how I'm feeling. My solution is to eat food. What if I looked at what I'm feeling? and said, what positives does this say about me? Mm. I'm stressed about this situation because I really care about getting this right. Mm -hmm. I feel frustrated with this situation, and I know that in the past when I'm frustrated, I come up with solutions. So I know I can problem solve this too. And do you see, does that kind of make sense? You kind of, yes. instead of just reacting, which is fine, everybody just reacts. You can recognize I'm emotionally eating. This is a reaction. Name the trigger, name some emotions, and then look at them and say, what does this say about me as a person? And usually it says really good things about you. And if you can't think of good things, ask for some help because I'm sure it will say good things about you. Ooh. I love that because the other thing is, is I feel like we get, we also not, we don't just label um, foods as good and bad, but I think we also label we also label emotions as good and bad. Yeah. And when we feel bad emotions, we try to avoid them or make them go away instead of recognizing that all emotions serve us in some Mm -hmm. way. And gosh, that's such a powerful, empowering activity to really tap into your emotions and see how they're benefiting you, even the ones that maybe feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I think that takes away a lot of that focus on the food because at the end of the day, and I've heard you say this too, it's not... The food wasn't the problem. Like you talk about that a lot with your journey. Like, yes, I lost the weight, but I wish you could see the mental transformation that I went through just as well. And if you really want to fix it, I think that's maybe a good way to start. Totally. In the moment. mm -hmm. Oh, so good. It's not about the food. It's not about having to restrict the food. Because like you said earlier, a lot of times it just makes us want it more. It's more about tapping into the underlying reasons of why you're using food in that way. Oh, so good, Allie. Gosh, you are just full of so much knowledge. And I also love that you are someone who also does like walks the talk in your own life. And <laughs> I just appreciate people who appreciate therapy. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, I appreciate you so much in talking about that and sharing your own experience with it. Sure. Okay. 
I want, before we wrap things up, I want to talk to you about cooking. Okay. Okay. Because I know there's a lot of people, we all love food. I think that that's like, we all love food, right? Now, whether or not we love preparing it is probably a different story (laughs) for some people, right? I feel like I have come to love the kitchen. And I honestly see for me now that cooking is a form of my self-care. I really, really enjoy it. But that was not always my story, especially in like college and my young professional days. I wasn't a huge cook. Um, And so I guess my question for you, and this can be for lots of different people, either they don't have a lot of experience in the kitchen, so they're intimidated, or maybe they're a busy mom that's also working and they're like, I don't have time to throw together meals. Do you have any, I guess, tips for reducing overwhelm in the kitchen or ideas to make cooking enjoyable again? Yeah, for sure. So first, make things you like. Figure out recipes that you love and, you know, save them on your phone or print them out, whatever works for you. Um, If you know there's an ingredient that you like or that your family members like, buy it. Make sure you have it in your house. Number two is to try to be really organized in your food spaces. So your pantry, your fridge, and your freezer. I think that's where most people get a little hung up because they get frustrated because they're spending money at the grocery store, but then, you know, life happens and you forget what you have or it doesn't get used. And so if you can keep track of that, either, you know, just by going through your fridge every couple days, getting clear containers for your pantry so you can see I have, you know, this much rice left or something. Just being really vigilant about like keeping those spaces organized will help you cook more. I know that sounds weird and it doesn't sound like it can make a difference, but it really does if you walk into a space where you know where things are, you know that things are ready for you to prepare. It just takes kind of a lot of that anxiety out of the equation. And then find a cooking method if you're really new and you're like not sure try a few different cooking methods. So things in the oven, um, things on the stovetop, a slow cooker, an instant pot, find something that you really like and just dive in there. You can make a ton of different foods with one cooking method. And I think that can really simplify like how, (laughs) how you feel like, I don't know, do I have a pan for like this recipe? Uh, Maybe, I don't know. Like if you want to do oven stuff, you need a sheet pan and a spatula and you're good to go. You can make so many recipes. So just really simplify things, make things you like, and try to stay organized. And I think those will be more helpful than people realize. Yeah. Yeah. Simplify things. I think that's so important. You know, I've got to crack up because my climb ladies know Allie pretty well because she cooks with us once a month inside of our community. And what I love about about Allie is that she basically always talks about how, how would you describe it? Do you say that you're the lazy chef? Uh, Yeah, I'm a lazy cook. Yes. She's a lazy cook. (laughs) And that sounds silly, but basic, I think it makes it so relatable because, you know, I think that we all watch the cooking shows where everything is perfectly portioned in these matching bowls and everything goes together and everything's all ready and it makes cooking look so simple. What I preach about Allie is that when we cook with her, She's always like, I'm a hot mess. I forgot my (laughs) spatula. It's still in this moving box because we're renovating our home right now. Or "Mm, 
I forgot that was in the oven. It's a little burnt. So just don't do this when you're at home. And I think it's so empowering because it's like, yes, that is what a real kitchen looks like. Yes, there are children that are screaming and running through the back of the kitchen. Like, of course there are. <laughs> and maybe a dog and a chicken sometimes. Like, I don't yes, know. Yes, <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Um, obviously, Ali, you also have a ton of great resources for people when it comes yeah. to the kitchen and just learning more about their food. So if someone's like, great, I'd love to try a new recipe. Where can I get some inspiration from you, Ali? Where can they go and find some of that stuff? Yeah. So my food blog is longbornfarm.com. Will you spell that? Yeah. L-O-N-G-B-O-U-R-N farm.com. If you're a Pride and Prejudice fan, it was a dumb mistake as a young business owner. Okay. Let's just. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Um, So all my recipes, most of my recipes are on there. Um, The only ones that aren't are recipes from my cookbook. And you can buy that on Amazon. It's called Rustic Farmhouse Slow Cooker if you're interested in slow cooker recipes. But there are, you know, so many recipes for free on my website. And I have pretty much all the basics covered, pretty much every cooking method covered. And then I do have some like how to, like how to cut an onion if you're not sure, how to, you know, what knives should you use, information about yeast. So if you have basic questions like that, search my website, send me a DM. I'm always happy to help. And then if you're a super beginner and you really want some like focused education, I have a few courses for like really beginner cooks. And then if you want to get more organized in the kitchen and you feel like you want some guided help, I also have a course to help you organize your space so you can make mealtimes a little easier. So good. And I will link all of those as well in the show notes below so you can check those out. Okay, Allie, I ask all of my guests this. This podcast is called Climbing because I think that in the journey of life, it is like climbing a series of mountain ranges. There's lots of ups, there's lots of downs. And I think in every season, there is a mountain that we are climbing. What is the mountain that you feel that you are currently climbing in your life or your career? So this is a great question. Right now, I don't know if you could tell from my bio, but I like to do a lot of things (laughs) all the time. And right now I am in a season where I just like physically can't because of our home renovation that's going on. And, and I just don't have like the spaces that I am used to having to do this. So I'm in a, I'm, I'm climbing the mountain of patiently waiting. Mm -hmm. And that's been super hard, which sounds ridiculous. I know, but just this season of like, I can't do what I'm used to. I have to wait. I just have to wait on some things. And then coming up with creative solutions to like, how do I still run my business Yeah. <laughs> while we do this? So. so we talk here a lot about how the magic is in the baby steps. The way we climb the mountain is in the baby steps. So what is a baby step that that looks like for you on a daily basis as you're climbing that mountain? I think literally taking things day by day. Usually I have my entire work schedule and food blog planned out for the entire year by February 1st. I don't have that done because I can't because I don't have access to things I'm used to having access to. So just literally taking it day by day. So I make my to-do list for the week. I I work ahead a few weeks when I can. And then every day just saying, this isn't going to last forever. The end is coming. Today, I'm working on this. Tomorrow, I'm working on that. We don't really need to know anything else. (laughs) 
Ooh, that's so good. And I think what's powerful about that is that it's such a, it's such a mindset journey for you right now. It's all a mindset journey. It's been one of those things where I cannot work my way out of this, which is something that I like to do. That's definitely a coping mechanism (laughs) that I use. This is something where I really have to dig into all the tools that I've been learning in therapy, where I really have to do what I tell other people to do. And Mm -hmm. I know what the end goal is. We're on our way there. Today I can do this. So good. So powerful. Allie, I know you talked about your cookbook and you talked about the blog. Where else can people connect with you or catch up on your goodness? I know that you are a multi-passionate person. You've got courses, got meal plans, you've got so many good things. So where can people get in the know about what you've got going on? Yeah, I think the best way is to sign up for my email list. So if you want to find me on Instagram, I've got a link in my bio there. You can sign up on my website. The email list people are like my BFFs, so mm-hmm. they usually find out about things first. I give a little more. I talk a little bit more on there. I just send out one weekly email. I link you know, a recipe and a little farmstead tip in there, and usually they're just full of really good stuff. So Instagram is fun for socials, but if you want like really regular information about what's going on, definitely email list is the way to go. Beautiful. And I will link that all in the show notes as well. I'm a subscriber and y'all need to get on the list. It's a good one. It's a, it's a definitely a good one. Ali, thank you so much for not just joining me here on the podcast today, but for being just you. I learn from you regularly. I am inspired by you regularly, not just when it comes to recipe inspiration, but business inspiration and just life inspiration. I have so much respect for you and what you do. And I'm grateful to be a part of your tribe and to, to have you a part of mine. Well, thank you so much. I feel the exact same way about you. It is so fun to hang out in your climb community. I love it. Oh, yay. All right, you guys, run over to Allie's website and make sure you sign up for her email newsletter and try a new recipe. Let us know what you're cooking and tag both of us so we can see as well. I will see you guys next week on our next episode of Climbing with Coach Kaya. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.